the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Looking forward to two very interesting interviews. Uh, new guest on the program, Jeremy Beck from over at NumbersUSA.com. Uh, we'll talk with him about immigration issues. And also John Nance. John Nance wrote a column on t- in townhall.com, posted over there, on Rush Limbaugh. And my friend, Fred Zelanko, from St. Louis, who worked with Rush Limbaugh when Fred was uh, had many different iterations of work and, and finishing as uh, general manager of KMOX, the the huge blowtorch in St. Louis. Um, he sent it to me, and I read it. And I said, "That's really interesting." It talked about sort of how Rush Limbaugh played this uh, larger than life role for conservatives, but part of his effectiveness was what I call he was a uh, a, a happy warrior happy warrior there's a better phrase though uh that uh, our uh, guest john nance uses to talk about um about um rush limbaugh he kind of ties it back it's really cool he's a retired fbi agent john nance is so he writes this piece and he kind of sets it up and says i always listen to rush and uh he was powerful and other people are missing it they're missing something in it and he talks about the phrase that is used is a phrase that Oscar Wilde used, the great uh, writer and crazy wild character. And it's called Oxford temper. The Oxford temper is the idea of having a certain um, uh, ability to talk about serious things without getting um, what he calls a violence of opinion. Anyway, we'll talk with John Nance. We're getting him on the show. We're getting him on the show. Um, so that's very cool. I love to do that. When I see somebody with their voice out in the public square, track them down and say, hey, what's going on? Would you come on the show? And when they do, it's fantastic. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. All right. Now, what you need to know, I, I have come to have a little more clarity on the wink, the daily wink, what you need to know segment. And that is, I see stuff you don't see yet, and I want to share it with you. It doesn't mean I'm always right, but I'm always um, seeing what I'm seeing. If you get what I mean, it doesn't. My conclusions may not always be right, although they're really right a lot. Uh, but I was talking again to my friend Fred Zelanko about that article, and I was saying, you know, that I see some of these things, and I have to come. I have to be clearer with you on it. And here's an example: what you need to know today. It's going to sound like, well, I don't know. Is that something that I need to know today? And my point is, watch, 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 and see. And we'll find out. And that is this. Over in Europe, there is a massive scandal. The massive scandal has to do with a massive amount of money that flowed into the European Union's governing cities and into its politicians. And more importantly, into what they call over there the NGOs, non-governmental organizations. What that is, NGO is a term for nonprofit in the nonprofit sector. And there are hundreds and hundreds of NGOs that have sprung up in the last 30 years in Brussels and Strasbourg, where the uh, EU meets for a couple of uh, weeks a year, but mostly in Brussels and all across Europe. Why? Well, because there's lots of people and lots of legislators and lots of bureaucrats and lots of money sloshing around. And as such, if there's money being sloshed and being spent 
the influence goes up. Remember what I told you yesterday? I think it was yesterday. It, there's been an astronomical growth in the number of lobbyists in the Washington, D.C. area, the swamp. That's not because the issues got more important. It's because the money is so much bigger. If you have $10 that you're appropriating as the federal Congress, there's only so much you can do. If you have $10 billion, there's a lot. If you have $10 trillion, which is what they say they added over the last few years, $10 trillion, well, now it's worth investing in lobbyists to try to get a piece of that pie, right? The pie is pretty small when it's $10. It's pretty small when it's $100. It's even small when it's $100 million. You make it $10 trillion, and suddenly it gets interesting. That's what's happened in the EU. So, but here's the story. Here's the story. The scandal that has broken looks like a sort of pay to play, pay to influence what's going on. So, Qatar, the uh, the Gulf state, which is oil rich, spent billion millions and millions of dollars to try to get members of the European Parliament and the bureaucracy to not critique their bad human rights ec- record and not critique their bad labor record. And it kind of worked. It looks like, but the way they did it was they did pay some of these members of parliament and bureaucrats directly, but a lot of times it looks like they washed the money through nonprofits, through NGOs. Here's what I want to tell you. The scandal is taking on larger and larger proportions in Europe, and it's going to come to America. And the form it's going to come into America will, I hope, be a critique of the nonprofits like Soros's nonprofits, like Planned Parenthood, like others. But it will include uh, nonprofits closer to your home. For example, Catholic Charities is going to get criticized and critiqued, I hope, because the, a lot of the Catholic Charities do massive amounts of funding, uh, get massive amounts of funding for the migrant questions, the immigrant, illegal immigrant questions. But here's the thing. <clears throat> Remember, it's like um, the Biden crime family appears to have just done uh, their corruption the old fashioned way. They would say to someone, invest in Hunter over there. He'll make sure everybody gets paid. The big guy gets paid. <clears throat> the bills get paid, et cetera. But if you don't have a Hunter Biden in your life, you run it through an NGO. Now, we do have a good example of this. There's a really good example. You know what it is? The Clinton Foundation. And when you pull the string on the Clinton Foundation, you realize they were giving money out of an, a desire for influence peddling. They were trying to influence the next president, Hillary Clinton at the time, and they continue to do that. They do it with the Obama Foundation. But here's my point on this. is What you have to understand is what becomes clearer is that the influence is they they wash money and people through these places so that if you're a whistleblower against Planned Parenthood, the universe of places where you can land, very small, conservatives are not that many conservative entities that say, hey, come here and I'll reward you. You're a whistleblower. You've taken a beating in public. I'll hire you. Whereas on the left, if you're a whistleblower on the left or if you're a, a, a never Trumper on the left, you got lots of jobs. You got lots of book deals. You got lots of places to land. You got lots of money. And my point here is if we pull the string on the nonprofit world, you're going to see that it's a, it's a, it's a, a bevy, a den of corruption, meaning influence peddling. Now I will tell you the select committee on January 6th, the unselect committee by Pelosi 
I believe, but I have to go back and look, that they hired three or four Georgetown University law professors to be research, to be experts on topics. And I suspect, but don't know, that they paid them, I don't know, three or four or five hundred dollars an hour because law professors think of themselves as partners at law firms and that's what they would bill. And so you have the select committee, the unselect committee of Congress paying who? They're not paying thoughtful constitutional law professors. They're paying left leaning. Or if they're paying constitutional law professors, they're not going to give them answers that are uh, for very long that are outside of the the expected response. That's not how this unselect committee was working. And my point to you here in the spirit of John Nance, we're going to talk to in a few minutes and Rush Limbaugh is watch what happens and, and watch what happens when the lights start to turn onto nonprofits. The ultimate nonprofits in America, by the way, are the universities that have, have compiled, you know, billions and billions of dollars in, in endowments. And they're, but they're not right now in the high, in the bright lights because there's far too many people that are graduates of those schools that are in the positions of power. And I, I will tell you, I'm listening to a book on tape called Spy Fail. And it's, I, you know, on my drive back and forth to work and driving the kids. And it's giving me more and more of a sense of how rampant this pr- uh, corruption is. In the, in the, in the world in general, but in this case, they're spies. And, and one of the big spy masters who helps Israel ends up not being prosecuted, but all the underlings get prosecuted. Why? Because, well, the underlings didn't have power. But if you're Harvard, you're not getting the Klieg lights. You're not getting the Klieg lights. Why not? Why not? Why, why aren't we looking at these nonprofits and figuring out how they're either using the tax code to their benefit or direct subsidies? To, to, to work against certain segments of the population. It doesn't only have to be political. But the interesting thing that's happening in Europe that I think will have an impact on us is because of the way the European Union is, the parliament, it's a, it's a parliamentary system, meaning there's five or six major parties, and across the nations, they have members who are, say, in the one liberal party or a conservative party or a green party or whatever they are, and they're fighting amongst themselves. And it's not just the conservatives that are on the hot seat. It's not just one nation that's on the hot seat. And what I think will happen here is you will have some country, excuse me, some nonprofits end up in the, on the hot seat with the bright lights. I think that's what's going to happen. And when they do, it won't be one ideology. There'll be a couple different ones, I think. And I don't mind that. I don't mind that. As long as they're going after the, the left, too, uh, you know, not leaving, not leaving them out. I'm for more transparency in these nonprofits. And I work in this world. I'm for more, more transparency. Shine a light on all of them. Find out what you can about all of them. Get more clarity about all of them. That's what I would say. And so my point here, just to tell you what you need to know today, is that the growing story in Europe is this corruption. They call it Cuttergate, and named after Qatar, Qatar, however you pronounce, however you want to pronounce that nation, Qatar, Qatar Gate is what they call it in Europe. And when it comes to what happens from it, the fallout will be the the decimation of the NGO community because of influence peddling and corruption. Family members hired, former members hired to work at these NGOs like the Clinton Foundation. And it will come to America. It's coming this way. I hope. I hope. All right, we got to take a break. We'll come back and talk with John Nance and then Jeremy Beck. Be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And so sometimes people send you something to read or uh, to think about. And, and yesterday was one of those days where it not only makes you read and think about it, uh, it makes you change some things you're doing. And so I read this piece by John Nance over on townhall.com, The State of Conservatism Post-Rush Limbaugh. And when I finished, John Nance joins us, by the way. When I finished, John, I sat there and stared at the piece, and I thought about my old boss, the late Phyllis Schlafly, who used to describe herself uh, as a happy warrior. She, Her whole way of being in the fray was being what I would say is um, what the way you describe um, Rush Limbaugh's uh, show, um, you know, Interesting, witty, thoughtful, um, serious enough, but also playful. And you make a lot better. You have a lot more success that way. John Nance, our next guest, is a retired FBI special agent. Uh, he is also a lawyer, trained as a lawyer over at Regent University and uh, writes frequently. I went back then in ta- town hall and looked. He's got a number of pieces. So uh, his piece, again, is entitled The State of Conservatism Post Rush Limbaugh. I'll put it up on social media. Welcome, uh, Mr. Nance. How are you, sir? I'm well. And Ed, thank you for having me on. Uh, really looking forward to talking about this piece in particular. Rush was a was a rare gift. For, that's for sure. Yeah. Master communicator. And uh, but in this, you hone in on uh, you recalled it the Oxford temper, which even in your column, John, reveals a certain um, I, I don't know. How, I think I'm using the word wrong, so I'll just use it because it's fun urbane was the word i was thinking about rush in other words it's a kind of <laughs> yes. way of saying someone's sophisticated but not using a multi-syllable word just using a two-syllable word it's kind of like and and you know in here you talk about the oxford temper which frankly i knew uh but only because i, I had been sent on an ox oscar wilde uh, goose chase in my 20s of reading um but w- tell us what you mean by that and why rush is missed so much well, I first heard the expression actually uh, on a recording of the Monk debate with Jordan Peterson. Mm, wow. And yeah, and the Oxford temper, Oscar Wilde used that basically to describe someone who is truly educated and someone who just doesn't spout off with what, what he termed as violence of opinion only. So it's this idea of being able to play gracefully with ideas. And Rush was probably the the paragon of that particular virtue. He could, he could engage with anybody, especially with people he disagreed with and engage with them in a respectable, respectful manner that many times would win people over to uh, the conservative constitutionalist way of thinking. Right. And I think we've lost that or we've lost some of that since, since Rush has passed. Um, when you, John, we're talking with John Nance, uh, columnist over at townhall.com, re- retired special agent from the FBI, an attorney also. Um, John, when you uh, think of Rush, though, what's interesting about what you say is he actually didn't do many debates. You mentioned Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson feels like to me he can talk uh, uh, by himself for hours and you're mesmerized, but he can talk in a debate. It's like uh, the old Christopher Hitchens. He loved the debate. Um, Rush somehow debated ideas by in a monologue i mean and when you and when you hear a lot of the people that are in a monologue now and i I will do this even though probably i don't mean to make enemies but hannity just yells hannity yells his positions and rush somehow was almost like engaging in a in a debate even though there was no one there right 
Right. Well, you know, even callers, people that would call in that uh, sometimes he'd have liberal callers call in and just the way he would engage with them yeah. was, was entirely respectful. And you know what? Oftentimes, we're not really speaking to the person we're quote unquote debating with. Right. Many, many times people on the opposite side of the fence, they're entrenched. Yeah. But who you're really talking to are the undecideds that are listening in. And you mentioned Hannity, and there's some other folks as well that that they they're bitter, they're shrill, and, and even at times profane. Mm-hmm. So the the undecided, the man or the woman on the fence, listens to that, and are they are they swayed to your position by that? I don't think so. Rush never did that. Rush was the consummate gentleman, scholar. He just never sank to that level. And I'm seeing that in conservatism today. I'm not sure exactly why, but it seems to be more and more prevalent. Do you, do you, do you uh, accept this um, comparison? I don't know. Were were you a Johnny Carson watcher? Did you watch Johnny Carson much in your day? Yeah, a little bit. Okay. It was a little before my time. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) That's what I thought. You're a little younger, but what I was going to say is Johnny Carson was um, to me, was a similar kind of style. Here's the trick. They, they both were sophisticated as can be and well-read as can be and all that, but they didn't come across as snobbish. They did. Right. Sometimes you get people that are going to say, let me explain to you how you don't understand something. And when they're done talking about the Constitution and history, all you feel like they were lectured to. And you're like, I, I, I hated my AP uh, U.S. history teacher, you know, when I was in high school and I hate you now. Right. Yeah. I mean, when someone does. Yeah. That, so there's a sort of a, a way about this an approach. Um John Nance is our guest, again, a, a columnist over at townhall.com. I hope he's an author and going to write a book, or maybe we'll see if he'll answer that later. But uh, but John, um, retired FBI agent uh, and an attorney also, um, do you is the is the is Rush missing? Because I know you say in your piece he was a once in a generation talent. Um, but is there something I think there's something about the current media that also creates um uh, uh, the well, when I used to do radio, the first early in my time doing radio, if you, if you didn't, couldn't get callers, you talked about abortion, and you knew you'd get right and left callers, pro life and pro uh, abortion callers, that always right. It was, and it, I used to say it's cheap thrills because you never got much movement and much discussion. Um, the current environment win between social media and uh, and the way um, uh, things work, it's clicks that matter, and so being That's thoughtful right. doesn't really get you much um, traction. That's exactly right. I think you've hit on a critical point. And it's the way social media has shaped and continues continues to shape our society. And I think a lot of folks, some of the big name folks in the conservative movement have fallen prey to that. I, I like to term it feeding the beast. And yep. it seems that once you start with red meat, that's what the beast wants. It wants more red meat. So it encourages people to be, well, very impolite. Uh, to, to put it mildly, and it seems like the more sensational, the more the more outlandish the story or the delivery, the more clicks it gets. The the, the bigger your Twitter follower gets, or or your LinkedIn uh, connections, you know, the, the bigger that becomes. And Rush was never never susceptible to that temptation. Uh, and he used to talk about, and he knew better. That a lot of the stuff, and this is back before Musk, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that things will continue to change under Musk. But before Musk, Rush used to be the victim of some enormous bot uh, on, oh, uh, onslaught. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
And uh, I think he said once that they kind of had narrowed it down through their whatever means they were using to three accounts, three people, essentially. So even when you're feeding the beast, you're, you're probably not feeding yeah. the, ma- the vast majority of people. Well, that's interesting. That that's that, that's an interesting. It's another whole another whole uh, column or a story. I, I want to ask you, uh, John Nance, about the end of your piece. My my old boss and mentor, Phyllis Schlafly, played Phyllis Schlafly. He was a great writer, and she used to write, especially books. And she'd lay out all the problems, and then she'd say, "Now the last chapter, I gotta I gotta say, where do we go from here?" So you get to right. the end of this piece, John, and you say, "Russia's mic has been passed like a golden scepter into faltering hands." I think you've laid that out pretty well. And and now here comes the last paragraph. Um. Well, we all need the courage of our convictions and the humility to admit when we get it wrong. And these are those are the preconditions to becoming skillful in the matters of the mind. Read a lot. Start with the Foundation of Western Civ, the Bible, live well and write down your thoughts. Soon thinking well will develop. Now, John, um, that's good advice, I think, for me to say to my family, my kids, my two daughters and two sons. How do we get that to to happen more broadly? I mean, you know, I. What's the we're we're dividing into camps. I guess we educate our camp, um, you know, meaning people that love the country and love the Constitution and all. But it feels like um, I don't know. Are we do we put our, our our light under a bushel basket? We put our Constitution under a under a uh, bushel basket and and take care of ourselves. I I'm not sure how we make that uh, a movement. Well. It begins at home, that's for sure, but that it's kind of the Gordian knot of public school education, right? Because most kids end up going to public schools, and we all know what they're being fed in public schools. They're being trained to be receivers, not thinkers. So they're given facts and data sets and memorize this and spew it out on a test. That That's not thinking. That's That's just rote memorization. So when they leave the public school system, they're not prepared to deal with the battle place of ideas. They have, they have no familiarity, no ability to, to deal gracefully with those ideas as uh, Oscar Wilde liked to say. So I think number one, it starts at home. Do, do what you can where you are. Influence the people within your sphere of influence or leadership. If that's just your kids, and I say just your kids, it's not not to diminish that, that's the most important thing you can do. Start with your kids. Uh, I read a study once that said if kids see their parents reading, they are far more likely to become readers themselves. So you can lecture your kids all day long about the values of, of reading and creating lifelong habits of learning. But if they see you do that, and it doesn't have to be a lot or long, but if they see you do that, they are far more likely to develop those habits as well. I, I did that with my daughter. My daughter's a reader. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in terms of the, the larger issue with public school education, well, that starts at the ballot box. And people ought to be involved in their, um, in their local politics. That's so important to be involved in local politics. School boards. I mean, we've seen that in the national news, especially recently. With, with parents standing up in school boards for what they know to be right. We just, we need to see more of that. Yeah. And, and conversation, discussing this stuff is how we start a movement.
Well, I, I, John, I hope you're um, going to write more, and I encourage you. And I, 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 you have any, any? Um, I mean, we don't. You don't need to spend months and months and years to write a book. That, um, but some of this instinct on what's happening here. I hope you're getting more and more of an audience. I, I sure encourage my listeners to read you and and find ways to amplify what you're saying because I think um, the the biggest thing I say is that if you're not joyfully doing it. It's not going to move anybody else to join you. you. You may be slogging through your work. I'm not saying work is always fun, but if if, if someone is sitting there and they're and they're a miserable person saying, "Hey, be pro life. I'm miserable. You want to join me?" It, it just it's not how human nature works. It's uh, it's uh, it's right. like I told somebody. Uh, you know, you you can wish it was different, but when you want to attract someone to take a double look, you know, you get a, a 20 year old uh, attractive young man or young woman. People are going to look, even old people, even old um, men and women. It's not about a, a sexual right. thing. It's about you're drawn to beauty, and and these are beautiful things, and you're drawn to joy. You're not drawn to turmoil, right? So um, that that uh, last thing on that is uh, Rush Limbaugh, one time we were driving, Phyllis and I, and she had her eyes closed. I thought she was sleeping, and uh, he said something, and she laughed, and she, she laughed out loud, and she said, he's so funny. Now, you don't think of that as Rush, but he was he, he knew. In fact, I was telling you off the air, John, that my friend Fred Zelanko used to work with uh, Rush and Rush told him once that he figured out a couple of years into his career, he had to be entertaining first or people weren't going to stick around. And there's right. something to mm-hmm. that. So uh, keep being entertaining, John. It's a great column. Thank you. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Thanks very much. Uh, John Nance. And uh, I want to say thank you to him on the air. He uh, we moved the schedule around a couple of times to get him on. And it was very helpful of him and very cool. So I'll put that up on social media and I'll put him on my list uh, to call back and have on again. So thank you. Uh, appreciate him very much. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. Uh, it's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. You've heard me say in the last uh, few weeks, um, we have had on guests uh, from Numbers USA, numbersusa.com. Tons of research, tons of research and resources there uh, about Congress, about their grades of specific members. Maybe as importantly, you can go in there and see on key issues. Um, I'm looking at the numbersusa.com. You drop down link, uh, drop down box. You can talk legal migrate, legal immigration. There's chain migration, visa lottery, all the information on this, and then illegal immigration. And one of the drop downs is mandatory e-verify. Well, um, the U.S. Senate, led by Chuck Grassley of Iowa, has um, filed another bill to have e-verify. And uh, I thought we'd get someone from Numbers USA, and we did. We got uh, the vice president there is named Jeremy Beck. I'm not sure, Jeremy, you've been on the show, so I'm glad you're here. We'll have you back again uh, to talk about these. He's a vice president, Numbers USA. Um, Jeremy, welcome to the program. My first question is, for our listeners who know basically what e-verify is, you know, a requirement that that all uh, businesses verify uh, who is trying to work for them or working for them. And the starting point is always who's against this. So welcome, Jeremy, who's against trying to make sure that somebody's a legal immigrant. I know there's a lot of people, but um, tell us about it. Well, thank you for, thank you for being with us. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's a, it's a great question. And it's one that's, it's kind of stymied people ever since, ever since he verify was created as part of the Jordan commission recommendation in the 1996 past bill. Um, and it's it is one of the issues that has received decades of bipartisan lip service, right? But uh, but also has uh, also has suffered from frankly bipartisan failure to really push it through. And you know there are the obvious the obvious people who would be against this would be scuff law employers. And I'm going to say that 
most American employers are patriotic, law-abiding employers. They want to follow the law, but there are some who are happy to skirt the law, especially if the government gives them the sense that uh, they really don't care much about that law. And so, you you know, an illegal worker is is convenient. Um, they tend to work very hard. They're, they don't complain much because they worry about um, being reported. They'll accept lower wages than Americans, accept worse working conditions. So you've got you've got sort of employers themselves. And then you have really the cheap labor lobby, which goes well beyond employers um, and these are these are the uh, the investor class really that benefits from lower wages. If you keep wages down, you increase profits. That's that's kind of supply and demand one on one. Right, right, right. And um and and you know that frankly it affects both parties. And so there's what you find a lot throughout you know the past few decades is you get a lot of people saying, well, of course we all agree we need to crack down on illegal right. employment and illegal right. employers and things like that. But then you find that there's when it comes to just supporting a bill that just does just that you get a lot of hemming and hawing about well we you know we're worried about people in this sector and we want need to carve out for them or maybe if we pair this with say a giant amnesty or an increase in a guest worker program and and then the whole thing kind of gets poison pilled and falls apart uh we're, we're talking again with uh, jeremy beck and jeremy is uh, at numbers usa uh, again go over to numbers usa dot uh, com numbersusa.com he's a vice president there uh, allow me to then uh, 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 offer an analogy or a comparison for the purposes of of understanding this because i think this is sort of true every pro-american type candidate and elected official will say they are for e-verify i think because they can't afford this isn't like this isn't like announcing you have to be for deportation of all illegals which it gets more controversial or something they all say they're for it a lot like pro-lifers say they're for defunding planned parenthood and then they get in office and something gets in the way right in this case let's be honest senator grassley he is heroic on lots of issues his bill his bill and it's got lots of good support and there's lots of good arguments and there'll be lots of democrats mansion senator mansion's probably for it i i've had to have to bet because west virginia and then they'll say well uh president biden says he won't sign it um so well if we just get a president who will do it maybe we'll be able to do it i mean it, it feels like that's where we're headed yeah, that apathy is a, is a, is real and and it's problematic. And I would say, from our standpoint, Numbers USA, we right. strongly encourage people to get behind good bills, regardless of the political situation. Right, right. You know, right. for one thing, if you want to hold people's feet to the fire, there's no better way. You know, one one thing that politicians who who want to play these games, they don't want to vote. They don't want to have a record. Uh, they prefer right. to let to, right. to, to be yeah. able to to make these promises and then make excuses. But if we can get enough support behind a good bill like this and give it a hearing, you start to get, first of all, you can record who has co-sponsored this bill and who has not co-sponsored this bill. And we have all that information on our website at numbersusa.com. And then if it goes through a hearing, we can track, you know, who's who's voicing support for it, who's, to answer your first question, who's against this bill? Who's who, who's throwing up obstacles against this bill? We can track that stuff and and hold these people accountable for their actions as well as their words. Uh, we're talking again, Jeremy Beck, uh, Vice President over at NumbersUSA.com. Uh, 
And I think you're right on that. And here's one thing I would say, maybe to, because I was just being sort of cynical. Um, you got, we have to change the dynamic. And, you know, frankly, Donald Trump's election and then being in office changed a lot of dynamics. I mean, the way people thought about the border, the way people thought about China and tariffs and, and multilateral trade deals, all those things that had been sort of, uh, you know, devoted, uh, Republican positions and some Democrats might get there with it. They, they became things that were more closely, um, you know, suddenly there were things you could do about. It. In this case, now you got the the U.S. House is Republican led. Can you can you expect uh, Jeremy? Is that is that a point of of sort of changing the dynamic? Get this out of the House. You know, in the spirit of the of the Freedom Twenty that we're trying to say, let's have one page bills and all. Could there be a standalone e verify where you just pass this thing right? Don't don't try to put it on anything else. Just get and that way change the dynamic because one of the things we got to change is the way people are talking about some of these issues, especially if. We now have millions in this country, five million, whatever number in the last year or two poured into the country. What do we do about it? And you can't I, I think it's right. You can't say deportation easily. I mean, I think we need to have the discussion, by the way. But you can say don't hire the people that are here illegally before you hire Americans. So is the U.S. House give, give you some hope, Jeremy, that you can change the dynamic? Yes, absolutely. And we are we're, we're count we're counting on that. We're counting on some good some good votes and some good uh some good bills being brought to the floor and there is a, a bill in the house the legal workforce act is an, another outstanding e-verify bill you can learn more about that on our website as well and i, I if i if i may take a moment to say yeah, why please. this is so important e-verify is one of numbers usa's probably top two priority goals and it really has been understood going back to blue ribbon commissions going back to the 80s and, and before that em- employment opportunities are the real draw for illegal immigration. Uh, there's always some bad apples in the bunch. And I know you've had Todd Vinsman on and, and your re- listeners have heard about that. But most people are coming here to better their economic situation. And they're drawn here because they have a pretty good reason to believe that they're going to be able to find illegal work. And E-Verify will help will help take away that that magnet, if you will. When people decide to immigrate to the U.S. illegally, they do a cost-benefit analysis. They say, is it worth it to give my money to a human smuggler? Is it worth it to put myself and my loved ones at risk? Is it worth it to live in a country illegally, kind of always looking over my shoulder? And millions of people say, yes, yes, it is worth it because I can make some money there because I know somebody, I have a relative who lives there, they're working illegally, I can work there illegally too. And the problem really is, is that it's illegal to hire somebody who's in the country illegally, but we have a a paper based system and an right. honor system. That's what we're that's what we're relying on for most of the country. Where somebody a new hire comes in, they say, "This is my name. This is a social security number," and you hand it over, and the employer says, "That looks like a social security number to me," and they put it in a metal filing you know, cabinet and shut the drawer, and no, that's the last you ever hear of it. E verify brings things into the 21st century and just allows it enables the employer to verify the information that every new hire has to put on an i9 form they just type it in to the e-verify user interface and usually within seconds it pings back and says this is a valid social security number this is a real person and yes this person is work authorized in the united states and the one of the you know the great things about e-verify is it really is a kind of soft deterrent soft enforcement and i don't mean soft in the sense that it's not effective i mean it doesn't require boots on the ground it doesn't require a ton of infrastructure the infrastructure is already there 50 million people have been e-verified over the past several decades so it's a it's a proven system 
And when word gets out, you mentioned President Trump before. We we learned from President Trump's election in 2016 that that a signal can have huge ramifications. Illegal immigration just dropped. It just dropped off the map after his election. And he hadn't he hadn't changed a thing. But word got around that, oh, we're not going to we're not going to be able to make it to the United States illegally. And that, of course, picked up once people realize that there are loopholes to exploit. But he verifies a similar thing. Once the message gets out that not just a few businesses in America are using E-Verify, but every business in America is using E-Verify. That is going to discourage a lot of people from giving their money to cartels and human smugglers and putting their families at risk and coming to the U.S. and undermining U.S. workers and uh, and law-abiding businesses. Well, Jeremy Beck, again, is our guest vice president over at uh, NumbersUSA.com. You know, I'm looking at, I think it's Ken, uh, Congressman uh, Ken Calvert, is that right, that, that does the Legal, Legal Workforce Act in the uh, Congress? Does that sound right to you, Jeremy? Yes, it does sound right to Okay, so, and I'm looking at that bill because I got to say, and I love praising Chuck Grassley. I want to say that. For me and for my late boss, Phyllis Schlafly, he he did so many things well and with such, I mean, he's just an amazing, the history of that guy's service. However, and and a U.S. senator filing a a law, a bill is a big deal. It's got a little more oomph. But in the House right now, if if this is H.R. 319, I'm looking at it, uh, Ken Calvert's, um, uh, uh, bill. If, and, 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 and if I can get a hearing and that can get people to understand it, I mean, we can make some progress. And I think that's my encouragement. So I I appreciate, uh, Jeremy, I'm out of time. I want to say thank you and we'll have you back again another time. Keep us on the, uh, on the, um, uh, quick, uh, email list as things are developing so that we can track it, but, uh, encourage people to, uh, make their voices known now, uh, in this time because A, people care about it and B, E verifies a solution you can build a wall we got to do that too. secure the border yeah but this is a solution to as you point out the magnet uh that brings a lot of people to come to the country so thanks very much jeremy well said and thank you all right uh we will take a break i'll put that up on uh social media and uh link to uh numbersusa.com uh, uh, don't tell jeremy i was as i was listening to him i was listening closely i was on his website and i found uh, that there's a great um layout of the history of E-Verify, where it came from, what it's about, Democrats involved, and why it works. Um, so I will, again, link to that, and we will be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, a national volunteer organization founded by Phyllis Schlafly and continuing to uphold her legacy by opposing radical feminism and representing a traditional conservative perspective in our nation's capital. And now, from the archives of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, here is Phyllis Schlafly. Yesterday, I told you how unhappy college students are because of the new ratio of males to females. Colleges used to have a majority of guys, but today the average is 57% female and only 43% male. This new ratio has dramatically restructured social relationships on campus. The colleges claim they grant admissions based on academic merit, and girls come out of high school with better grades than boys. But that doesn't necessarily mean they are smarter. This new ratio may be a factor in the various sex scandals that have made news in the last couple of years. So what's the solution? One solution might be to enforce a quota on college admissions, requiring admissions officers to admit half guys and half girls. Another solution might be to stop granting college loans, thereby forcing students to take jobs to pay for their college tuition and eliminate time for parties, maybe even eliminate time for fraternities and sororities. 
I went through college while working a full-time manual labor job, and I don't regret a minute of it. It was a great learning experience. Another solution would be to reinstate all the men's sports that have been canceled by an extremist application of the regulations of Title IX. That's the federal law whose sole purpose was to prevent discrimination against female students. The feminists have abolished many men's sports, such as wrestling, gymnastics, track, and golf, in order to achieve some statistical equality, even though men are far more interested in playing college sports than women. The feminists have abolished these teams in order to limit men's teams to the number of women who want to play on college teams. Do you have some other solutions to the problem of attracting more men to go to college? Let me hear from you. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. For more than 50 years, Phyllis led the fight against the dead-end road of radical feminism. Today, with the rise of so many savvy young conservative women, new voices are emerging. You're invited to voice your opinion on what's really important to women at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Very sorry I overdid my time. Let me just say thank you, as always, to the great Noah Dingley, our producer. Thank you to Ryan Hyde, associate producer. Thank you for listening. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Be back tomorrow. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.